Hello, and welcome to What's More With Commentary. I'm Ginny. I'm Allie. Even though we literally just said I was going to do the intro, I was like, why isn't she talking? <laughs> Lagged <laughs> a second there. Because uh, yeah. I'm waiting on you. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense, as we agreed to, and as we always do. Um, but yeah, this week we're here to talk about entropy and double or nothing. We are, like, really closing in on the end of some stuff I have feelings about. Yeah. Um, but how are you doing today? I'm good. I don't want to be boring and talk about weather, but I'm going to talk about weather. Because oh, yeah. it was... Is it nice or bad? Unbearable here. Oh, is it <laughs> like, hot? Oh, my God. We had record highs for June Ugh. on, like, Monday and Tuesday. I That's think Monday good. was, like, 98. Like, So it's going to be I, awful when I'm there? No, because okay. I think it's going to be, like, it's going to go back up to, like, the 70s. But this was, like, a whole other level. And, like, the weather yeah. app just was consistently off by, like, 10 degrees. Oh. So I would, like, plan my day and be like, okay, it's going to be hot, but it's only going to get up to, like, 80. And then I'd be sitting at my desk and it'd be, like, 95. Yeah. Outside. And, just and like, definitely the worst part about that stuff in San Francisco is that no one has air conditioning or like no one's prepared for it. It's right. like when it so, snows in cities where it never snows and it's like, it's not a big, an inch of snow isn't a big deal, but if you never have to deal with it, it is. So it's like, yeah, 90 degrees is livable if everyone is prepared for it. Well, and that's the thing. And so like, of course, you know, you like throw all your windows open. Like I opened the window in my room, which I almost never open. Mm-hmm. And I, like... It didn't matter. Like, by yeah. the second day, it was so much worse. Like, it yeah. was, so, like, I think there was a temperature, it was, like, 9 p.m., and it was, like, 85 degrees Ugh. at night. In San Francisco, that never happens. Like, you yeah. don't have those warm summer nights, you know, which are nice to yeah. have, like, once a year, but not when you're, like, trying to sleep and yeah. everything's, like, suffocating you. Like, I was literally just, like, sitting on my couch, and I was like, oh, I, this is so cool. I'm, like, sitting and I'm sweating. Yeah. Like, I haven't experienced that since I lived in Boston. Yeah, and exactly. honestly, that's the reason I don't move back. Like, it's yeah. not the winter time. It's No, the I agree. <laughs> summer yeah. is my least favorite, although it hasn't been that bad here, thankfully, so far. Yeah. So experiencing that here was honestly... Yeah. Yeah, I hate just I hate the awful. heat. I do not like yeah. it. And like San Francisco has had some days in the past couple of years that have been I think even worse. But I've just like magically been out of town. Ah, uh, yeah. And I am just like I have no plans this summer to travel. Like I'm mm-hmm. gonna be here just when gonna this melt. happens. Yeah. I'm gonna die. Like yeah. It's just it was really unpleasant. And so like Wednesday, I like the day started out like super warm, and then I was um, coming home in the evening and. It was like the fog had come back and it felt like it just broke. Like you could just feel it. Like, and literally you could feel it because like the air had been so warm and the fog came in that it really condensated. Oh, so yeah. like, it was just like really like misty, but I was just like, oh my God. But I mean, I didn't even have a jacket. So I was like freezing, <laughs> but I was like, I don't even care right now. Like this is yeah. the best thing. And so the last couple of days I've been like almost too cool. So uh-huh. you know, I'm ready to complain in either direction, but yeah. <laughs> I, like, I know it's boring to talk about the weather. It's just, it was so abnormal. And I mean, it has such a big effect on your day, though. Like, it, the oh whole God. city was just disgusting. Like, everything that already smells bad smelled 10 times worse. No, people yeah, are like I know. insane because hot weather just makes people crazy. And yeah. I, yeah, it was, I, and like, it's like, okay, well, you could take the bus, but like, I don't know. I don't want to take the bus every day. So I was like walking to work. So, like, I would walk home and like, I would just, like, I literally got home Monday, and I looked like I had been crying because I was sweating, like, under my sunglasses. Like, I was disgusting. Like, I was a disgusting specimen. Like, (laughs) 
uh, and, and I'm just not used to that, you know, like, yeah, it just really cramps my style. Like I want to walk home. I don't want to have to think about the fact that it's 95 degrees outside. Yeah. I mean, but also PM. like, would the bus be better? No, because then the, the bus other is thing, crowded yeah. and everyone's sweating there. It's like just right. a different type of. Or the hot. bus isn't coming for like twenty minutes, yeah, and so you're I just have to stand, stand on, the on the concrete yeah, exactly. and roast. So there's just really not a good alternative. Yeah, um, yeah, it was just really like uh, I I don't like those reminders. Well, you saw me in Charleston. Like I am also like physically unable to handle the heat now. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. And then people are like, why didn't you wear a dress to work? I'm like, because then I have to go to work where it's freezing. So exactly. I like, there's no happy ground here. Well, that, that really is the clincher too, is it's like, then you get to, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. Do you dress for the, the 30 minute commute or do you dress for the eight hour day? And it's like, which right. one is, was it worse to freeze at your desk all day? Or is it worse to, you know, sweat? for a whole hour of the day or whatever. I do feel like on Monday I would have been able to get away, maybe even Tuesday, with, like, wearing a dress to the office because the building hadn't cooled down yet. Yeah, that's true, too. So Monday was actually, like, really warm in the office. But, you know, but, like, I can't plan on that. And, like, I'm just going off of, like, however many years of work experience knowing Mm -hmm. that I'm going to dress for outside and then I'm going to be miserable all day. And I I said the exact same thing to my coworker. I was like, I'm not going to dress for the two hours I'm outside. I'm going to dress for the eight hours I'm here. So, I mean, I do have a like thing at my desk to like, well, when it's freezing, I just put this literal blanket shawl over myself. I actually have a blanket at my desk. I do too. Well, I have a, a, I have one is, I, it's a quote unquote shawl that I got from Uniqlo, but it's literally just a blanket with like a slit in it so that you can (laughs) wrap it around your shoulders. I was like, I'm definitely just wearing a blanket around the office, but oh well, (laughs) if I adjusted the temperature, I wouldn't do this. Fleece blanket at my desk, Yeah, but I have never opened it and used Mm. it, but I should because it was given to me for the exact purpose of wearing when I'm freezing all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. That's five minutes on weather. How are you doing, Jenny? Oh, good. <laughs> Same. It was nice here yesterday, and I got to be outside, which was nice. Um, it seems like it's already getting hot, but yeah, I don't know. It's been it's been an okay weekend. I have a lot to do today, but not as much as I normally do. Um, I'm making a cake today. What kind of cake are you making? Uh, just funfetti, but okay. I'm making it themed red, white, and blue because. Obviously, I'm ready for the 4th of July. I was like, it's not 4th of July yet. <laughs> it's not, but I, I'm i trying to get back into the blog a little I bit. I see, so, so I'm planning like, ahead. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Plus, if it fails, and I, I'm really mad because I... I'm sorry, I interrupted your story. That's but okay. I don't have anything to say, so... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, did, I made the mistake again where I did online grocery delivery. Ah. I clearly in unable and unable to learn from this yes. but i mean they've actually started delivering the groceries which is great but you still have the problem of like they don't bring things and so right. i'm making a cake and the two items that they didn't bring are cake flour and eggs okay so, so it'd be a great cake you're <laughs> <laughs> gonna make it kind of hard so yeah Sorry, i just kind of want to do I, just... that I do things other than think about the weather <laughs> that's fine i don't have anything to add i watched buffy i hung out outside um and that's all I've done. I played with my cat a lot. You know, the usual. Yeah. Oh, I, I already gave a lot you of people my... on Twitter complaining about the weather in New York, so. It's not that bad. It hasn't been bad. If anything, it's been unseasonably cold, which is, like, alarming in its own way, but it's at least not. I mean, it's my preferred type of summer. <laughs> cold? Cold, yeah. I really prefer not to melt. No, agreed. 
Um, it does make you worry, like, why is it cold? Exactly. Then, it's, like, alarming because this whole year, the, the weather and the seasons have just been getting less and less consistent, really, for the last, like, four years. But, yeah. But aside from that, I mean, I prefer to not be sweating all the time, so. Yeah. But then does that also make you worry that, like, when it does come, like, the heat is going to be just Even awful. worse. Like, like no. it's cool, and then it's just going to be, like, record highs or something. You know, no, I'm not worried about that. And I, part of it, though, I think is because the first summer that I lived here, there were like two straight weeks of above 90 degree and humid temperature. And I was not used to it yet because I was, you know, hadn't lived on the East Coast for a while. And as we've all, I think, both established, I, we just do not, I do not like heat. I don't like heat and I really don't like humidity. And I didn't have an air conditioner for a while when I first moved here either. So it was just like, I just literally, I remember telling someone, I was like, I've just been sweating for like two straight weeks and I haven't ever, I haven't stopped and so I guess what I'm saying is that I don't think it'll and until it gets to that point again, like I'm still like, that's always what I'm worried about. And it's always like, even when it gets really bad for like a couple of days, it hasn't ever lasted as long as that did. So also I have more places with air conditioners now. So I have an air conditioner is what I'm saying. You know, it helps a lot. And it really does. I, I understand that in their own way, air conditioners are contributing to the problem. Fair. Like, what are we going to do without them? Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I think of this all the time. Like, people used to live on the East Coast and wear long dresses. Oh, my God. I think about that. all day. And, like, I guess that's why they drank lemonade all the time and, like, sat in the shade and well, stuff. Well, that's also but, like, why, like, women were fainting all the time. Yes. <laughs> like, you it were wasn't wearing just corsets in the It was that they were really hot. But, yeah. but I don't read literature about how they were just, like, constantly sweating and all that stuff. And I, I mean, the only answer well, that was is because that it, it just wasn't as hot. But No. Well, maybe that. I think also people weren't talking about it because it wasn't demure or whatever. Also, you know, I think the, you just literally only sat around in your, like, fancy dress when you had company, and then maybe when, like, you didn't have company, like, you could just lie in your salon and, like, well, a linen shift or something. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I also feel like there's also some, like, you know, it's the history is a bit selective in the sense that the people we were letting write it were the wealthy people who had servants to, like, do all that stuff for them. So, like, you also didn't have to do anything because... You yeah so or it was the like, men I who bet could the take servants were sweating if they got hot right I don't think that's enough <laughs> you didn't have to walk and do the carriages yourself no it's true but I mean like the men also writing history were able to take off like layers right. whereas the women who right, might have been right, writing right. in their journals did not yeah hmm. somebody from the Library of Congress like just let us know like yeah yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I think about this a lot, like, whenever I'm really hot, and I'm like, we're wearing modern clothing and fabrics, which, well, okay. we sometimes also wear modern fabrics yeah. can make you warmer, but, exactly. like, <laughs> but we can wear less of it, so I just wonder how those women did it, those poor women. Okay. No wonder people thought we were hysterical and fainting all the time. Yeah, I was like, well, I'm wearing 80 pounds of clothes, and it's 100 degrees outside. <laughs> I get pretty hysterical when I'm overheating myself, so. Yeah. I feel like I could talk about women's fashions and the politics of it for like another 20 minutes, but I feel like we should talk about We probably shouldn't do that, actually. Um, (laughs) Unless anybody's interested, but uh, no, let's talk about entropy. Um, Let's talk about entropy. Before I get into the episode recap, I do want to say that I did this for myself because I sort of had an idea of what it meant, but I had to look up the word entropy. Oh, okay. Because um, I couldn't remember if it meant like... I thought it was like change and unstableness, but... Well, that's what I was thinking, but then I also was like, am I rem- remembering it wrong? Is it like the order of things or whatever? But actually what it is, it's a lack of order. Yeah. Or predictability. 
or a gradual decline into disorder. So okay. that's sort of what we're seeing happen here. For um, sure. <laughs> it, it is, in a way, ha- happening. And the other way, I'm like, well, we've learned that Buffy just really likes their one word. Like, you know, yes. not as bad as Angel, but, you know, they, yeah. they want to have these um, one word titles. But um, anyway, the entropy that is occurring. So we got a little break last week from the fallout of Xander's wedding. Like it was certainly acknowledged, but we didn't see Anya. We didn't really see anything happen. But this week Anya's back and we're seeing the fallout from Xander leaving her at the altar where Anya has become a vengeance demon again. And she is really leaning into her victimhood, I want to say, which I'm not belittling it's deserved but she's really trying to get everyone else on board with this idea that Xander did something truly awful to her and deserves to be punished and while everyone keeps trying to reassure her that no no don't worry Xander is punishing himself more than anyone ever could Anya wants like literal punishment you know she wants punishment of the vengeance demon variety where Xander doesn't just feel like his stomach is in knots like his stomach is actually in knots Mm -hmm. um unfortunately nobody this gang has learned a thing or two this season, especially about wishes. So <laughs> nobody's really biting. And also Anya can't wish for vengeance herself. So she, she decides that she needs to find someone who doesn't really care what happens to Xander. So she stumbles across Spike who probably isn't, doesn't care enough about Xander to like wish anything ill on him, but he's mm-hmm. certainly happy to commiserate with Anya about their shared romantic woes because as we know, Buffy has recently ended their um, whatever mm-hmm. relationship and Spike is not handling it well. He's still taunting Buffy about it while she's on patrol. He's still insisting that it's love and she's telling him that, no, it was just a thing. I was just using you and I don't love you. Um, so Spike is pretty upset. He goes to Anya or to the magic box to try to just get a thing to kind of help convince Buffy, I guess. Anya finds whiskey I instead. Thought he was try- okay. I thought he was I trying thought to forget. The- oh, I thought he was okay. going to spell himself, but sorry, not important right now. That could be. I just thought he was trying to do something to, yeah. yeah. Trying to cast a spell um, of some kind. Yeah. But Anya finds whiskey, so they decide to stop and drink that. They get really drunk and they end up sleeping together, you know, mm-hmm. as they commiserate and decide, hey, we could really stick it to them by, you know, I don't think that's conscious, but um, yeah. they, they sleep together. But meanwhile, unfortunately for them, the timing is really bad because mm-hmm. Buffy has discovered, Buffy and Xander have discovered a camera in the front yard in this little gnome statue that has gone unnoticed until now. And so Willow hacks into the feed and discovers that there's a lot of other cameras. There's one at the Double Meat Palace. There's one at the the college. There's one at Xander's construction site. There's basically one literally anywhere these, these people go. And so Willow hacks in and finds the one for the magic box just as Anya and Spike are having sex on the table where mm. they do all their scoobying. <laughs> and... Sorry, I had to add that in there. That's all I could think about. Um, And so they, Buffy and Xander witness this. Xander gets upset, of course, but so does Buffy, surprisingly, to her friends. And Mm so Willow and Dawn both kind of realize something has been going on with Spike. Xander takes Buffy's axe and goes after the both of them. Buffy kind of heads to the backyard where she and Dawn have a nice chat. Um, But then Buffy goes after Xander because... Xander obviously isn't going to kill Spike. He can't, but he's going to try. So he and Anya get in a horrible fight in front of the magic box. 
And then Spike kind of interjects and tells Xander that, hey, you know, Buffy slept with me too, Mm -hmm. which is a little too much for poor Xander, who stomps off. Everybody's a little shocked. And it seems like everybody's in a really bad place. But then (laughs) at the very end... Meanwhile, this whole time, the tiny glimmer (laughs) of good things is that Willow and Tara have been slowly, like, reconnecting their way back or trying to kind of dance around each other. They, in this episode, decide to have coffee. Unfortunately, their coffee day is interrupted by Anya trying to (laughs) get get them to to wish ill on Xander because they're (laughs) lesbians and hate men. Um, But at the end, Tara comes over and she says, you know, like, I know that this is supposed to take time and I know that we have to kind of figure out who we are and you know what we want to be and all of that but she says you know I would really just rather skip that part and just get back together and so they do mm-hmm. I'm choking up just thinking about it it was a, <laughs> it was su- so it was a really effective it. like sweet it scene and I actually so thought her, her speech to Willow was, it was fantastic so like I loved every second of her saying like I know all the smart things yes. that we should do can we just skip it please? yes like uh, can we just skip and it and can you just be usually, kissing me now? Is that's like, not Tara usually. And no, but it felt very true. It did. So that, I actually think that's a good place to dive in here because I, I mean, this, yeah. this episode was very, it's, it's not, I liked it quite a bit, but it was, I mean, this whole season has been building up to dark personal drama and this was like the, cathar- like not, it wasn't exactly catharsis, but this was like, everything came to a head in this episode and it was really difficult to, it was difficult, but I, I think agree. I would say in an episode of like emotional, weaponry, like of all, yeah, like all the it things was we've really seen nice all, to have this ending. Well, not just this ending though, but I really feel like the dialogue was so good in this episode. Everybody's and specifically Anya, like Anya w- killed it in this episode. Like there was not a scene. I guess what what's the act? God, what's her name? Um, Emma Caulfield. Thank you. I was like, it starts with an E. That's all I got. Um, I thought Emma Caulfield was so good in this episode, but really I felt like everybody's lines, like her lines, Xander's lines, and then the icing on the cake is that it ends with this like also amazing speech by Tara. I was like, so we're, we can't just write, it's not just that they can write these great like zingers, it's also that they then they can turn it around on a dime and write this really well executed sentimental, you know, romantic dialogue that didn't, and it didn't feel like, nothing felt out of place like nothing about it felt inappropriate like the pacing was really good I thought that twist as a twist and as like a tiny valve of relief at the end of the episode was really good and so I guess I'm just saying like I really felt like the pacing and the dialogue in this episode were like spot on like some of the best we've seen ever probably especially little asterisk compared to the episode of Angel where I do not think dialogue is their strong point it was very it just like all the more I was like man that Buffy episode was great it really was. I agree. Like everything, every time Anya's like going off on a little spiel to people and like trying to trick them into things, her little interaction with yes, Don was yes. like especially delightful. And like Don um, won't say the, that word anymore and it yeah. turns out to be wish. <laughs> like, like it was funny. It was accurate. I, yeah. Yeah. But I think you're right. Like also the, the dialogue, like everybody's really saying. Finally saying like, things. They're saying what they think, but they're saying it in a way that's interesting to watch like it's not just depressing as hell I mean it it is is. but it's not like it's it makes it more bearable and you know that whole scene where Xander and Anya are having it out in front of the magic box Mm -hmm. is also I think really well written and also just the little asides like I mean yes 
this whole time Spike has been threatening to out Buffy to yes. her friends. She finally tells him to do it, but like it's clear that like she thinks she tells him like go ahead and do it because I literally tried to kill them last week. They won't care. But like it's clear that like she doesn't really want them to know even then. Right. And so Spike knows this. So like he and he picks his moments perfectly like because it's not just that he's outing Buffy and this right. is, I'm, I really mean to tie this back to the dialogue like it's just such a well-written scene is like yeah you could have Spike just like you're yeah blurted out to like get back at Buffy but actually what he does is to like both hurt Buffy but twist the knife on Xander right and I think you're right that it's not or I think you're right and I think that's even speaking more to the dialogue and specifically to the like mm, what's I want to say this isn't the right word, but there's like a lot of poetic justice in this episode where like, yes, everything happens in this very like every uh, everyone is in the exact right moment where they say the then perfectly written line that they say, (laughs) like everything about this is like, yeah, yeah, just tumbled everything tumbled really well into the next scene and into the final the consequences of that and then the consequences of that like everything. Yes, to your point, like everyone was in the exact right place. But unlike in some other episodes and some other episodes of episodes of Angels, I didn't feel like we could see them like, okay, now we put Spike here and we put Anya here and then they go, you know, like it was like very like everything was very natural and organic in the way that it tied together. And then they would bring out these heart wrenching lines and you're just like, well, I mean, I was really tore up at the end of the episode, I have to say. I mean, I just had this sense of doom as Xander is listing for Anya, like, this man is soulless and evil, and that means that you're awful for sleeping with him. And he's saying all of this in front of Buffy. In front of Buffy. And Buffy is just sitting, and Buffy knows, like, none of this is surprising. We all have known for years that Xander has a very black and white view of vampires. um, Yeah. You know, and... And yeah. the, but he's just listing out all the ways this makes Anya awful. And, like, to have Spike just jump in and say, well, it's good enough for Buffy, you know, knowing not only is it the shock of having him know that Buffy slept with him too, but also you're calling your Friend, this woman that you things. love yeah. awful for sleeping with Spike, but also, guess what? Your precious, cherished Buffy did it too. So, yeah. like, it works on so many levels, and it's just such a simple line. And it is. But I have to yeah. say too that I it's I also I maybe we're on different sides of this but I didn't I also didn't think Spike was wrong to say that because it is infuriating to watch Buffy just stand by and let Xander say these things and let Xander say these things to Anya and to not man up enough to or sorry there's definitely a better way to say that but to like not own up to the fact that she's doing it too. I feel like that was really like Spike is definitely in the wrong but so is Buffy. Like it's not cool to just watch your friend go on a tirade against his ex-fiance for doing the exact same thing that you've been doing, you know, and to not defend her, I guess is what I mean to say. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I kind of read it more as like Buffy wasn't going to like get in between that because they were their Their fight was really emotional and raw. It was. And that's like, fair. That's I, fair. I would really hesitate to like step in the middle of it. But you're right. Like, I didn't right, really yeah, begrudge Spike for finally saying his yeah. piece because it's true that, like, Buffy has treated him awfully as well as he has treated her, but, like... And also because it definitely is, you know, one of Buffy's flaws is is being a little bit self-righteous, and so it definitely feels like somebody does need to call her out. I Yes, I don't know that this was the right moment to do it, you know, maturely, but this is the right moment, you know, dramatically to do it, so... But I just mean to say that, like, Buffy is happy, I think, to hide behind nobody knowing this stark thing about her rather than admitting that she too has flaws, you know, especially to Xander who kind of still idolizes her. Yeah. And also I totally agree with that. And I also think like 
the flaw as well of her in this that Spike is also puncturing is this idea that like she's just over him and doesn't care what he does. Right, right. But like right. She's, clearly she's clearly affected by him sleeping with Anya and yeah. it's uh, that's how Willow and Dawn figure this out and also right. it Spike can see that as well. Like yes. Buffy's kind of like pissy when she shows up, you know, and she's not really talking to Anya about like we saw it or whatever. Like yeah. it's kind of directed at Spike and you know I think Spike has had enough. He's like, wait a second. You've just yeah. been telling me you don't care. Like, so then why are you upset about this? And yeah. well, you know, whatever. If you're not upset, then I'm going to tell him. And like, but all of that is unsaid. Yes, but it all comes through. But it almost makes the la- the annoyances of the last few episodes worth it. Almost. <sighs> like, if Asterisk, only all of I those could say, have been as good as this. <laughs> that's true. And I... I don't want to linger on this too much because we are going to already going to have, we're already there where next week we're going to have to talk about all the things that I've been dreading. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll feel, maybe I'll have some great insight out of this, you know, our exercise of weekly discussion and weekly viewings. But I have to say that I also definitely felt more than once watching this episode. I feel like in my memory, again, like I've been a lot younger when I've watched this or I've been watching it in the background while I'm doing 20 other things. I'm not really giving it my full attention. I feel like I always thought like a little bit like, oh, they just throw Spike and Anya together to make everyone mad. But like, I really liked that as a, as a plot point in this series and as where we are. But I definitely kept having the thought running through my head where I was like, man, I wish this is where they chose to end it for Spike and Bobby. (laughs) You know, like this, they both Anya and Spike have really, really been, well, I don't want to say it exactly like that, but I just feel like they both really do stick it to, to, um, Xander and Buffy in this episode and they really do effectively hurt them. (laughs) So I, there was definitely a part of me that was like, this is all of the closure that I need on that. (laughs) You know, I don't know that Spike needs to go farther than he did in this episode, which was already not not unreasonably far, but like, it's definitely, you know, painful and, and bad. I think they're justified in what they do. So I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to judge anyone. Well, I I have some judgment for Xander, but we can get to that. But otherwise I feel like everybody is like, this is just everything coming to a head. Everything that's been happening. Everybody finally kind of says what they've been thinking or says the worst versions of what they've been thinking. And it all kind of gets out there, but I don't feel like anybody really is to blame, you know, in this, in the actions kind of, if that makes sense. Anyway. Yeah. No, it, it's entropy. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I understand why, what happens between, I, I understand why Anya and Spike sleep together. And I think it's clear that they also understand pr- pretty much why they're doing it. They're definitely not setting out to like, this will really hurt Spike, uh, I'm sorry, Xander and Buffy, but they're definitely doing it to work out some issues. I really liked their conversation. I really liked, Yeah. So sorry, I'm kind of going off on tangents, and I feel like we no, it's to something it's fine, a little more. I actually kind of want to talk about an element of that that ties back to you mentioned, like talking about Xander. So, yeah, the reason Spike, like the way this gets going, is Spike is kind of complimentary to Anya about her directness, and you know that he yeah. admires it, and that also like, oh, these humans are just a little bit too precious about their rules and their etiquette, and that you know he oh, likes that God, Anya yes. is always direct, and I. I liked that that's how they they got closer, but I also liked the callback to, you know, that's what they were fighting or what she said. Right. That it's not just the demon thing. It's not just like, like in the vision, I thought the, the where hell spells really failed for me is like, it was this direct vision that made no sense. Like, 
Anya right. is in a human body. You would never have demon children. Like right, right, right. All the fears that Xander had didn't really make a lot of sense. But the the one the problem that they really did have was this idea that they were never going to agree on like Anya's humanness mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. a certain level because Anya even was a little blind to it until like Halfrick comes and is like why are you letting him treat you like this and Anya's like well I don't fit in well with the humans and he's just trying to like help me do that and we I think even at the time were a little bit on Xander's side of like yeah. well Anya is pretty rude and you know it's played for comedic relief but when you when you look at the flip side of that it is Xander trying to constantly change her and tell right. her how she's acting wrong. And like, you know, she's mentioning, I changed myself so much for him. Like, yeah. why did I do that? And yeah. so to hear it from that angle, it's like, yeah, this was never going to work. It's like, true. And Xander might yeah. not be ready to get married now, but I don't know if like they should ever get married because Anya yeah. is only going to change so much and she's never going to change as much as Xander seems to want her to. And hearing it, from Anya in like acknowledging that in this episode really made me kind of rethink the entire course of their relationship. Well, and you make a great point. And frankly, is that we've never had Anya's perspective on any of this. So when I think a few episodes ago, we were agreeing that like, yes, she's very rude. And that probably is something that's worth addressing. The flip side is that we've never seen what those conversations are like or when, how he's saying it to her or what exactly he's saying. So I feel like, I I guess I'm trying to say, I don't really think that we were wrong either, but I definitely agree that like what's actually been lacking is any of Anya's perspective. So this is the first time we've seen it and turns out it's, and illuminating, <laughs> you know? Like, it is, and also maybe not an accident that, I mean, Emma Caulfield has been consistently great, right? obviously, for the last few seasons, but yes. maybe not an accident that she's really killing it in this episode where we actually get, get, get her, Anya as yeah. a fully formed person totally. with her own point of view, because it's true that her entire character arc has been Xander's girlfriend in some capacity. Yes, and, and I think the show is really reckoning with that. Yeah. slash, you know, Xander's girlfriend, but like, here Anya actually can stand on her own and we're actually getting her perspective on things which you're right like has been completely absent aside from like a funny like you know inappropriate comment here or there yeah and I feel like what is kind of fun that we're talking about and again I think we'll really talk about this more in season seven is that I have to say sometimes this sort of thing would annoy me but I actually think this show is being pretty meta in the way that they're treating her or at least they're going to be again in the future is that like the show has realized oh all we know about Anya is that she's Xander's girlfriend and that she was an ex-demon and we really don't spend a lot of time analyzing that latter one so really she's just Xander's girlfriend but I felt like this episode really started to deal with that and like, like we see that like Anya, Anya admits like she doesn't have any other friends except for Xander's friends. So like, yes, this is a pointless exercise trying to get them to curse him. They're his friends. Even if they've come to accept you or like you and you're also friends on some level now, I mean, they're not going to be the ones, they're not the ones to give you what you're looking for in this situation. So I guess I'm just saying, I think it's very interesting that again, in season seven, when we kind of see some flashbacks to this moment, we're going to see that like, I think the show is smart to to give this act, it's like an accident of the show that like it turns out Emma Caulfield is great and everyone likes Anya so they keep putting her more and more into the storyline but because they never really went back and gave her like a lot of fleshed out motivation that they do it and kind of are like oh you know what her problem was is that she was only Xander's girlfriend I think is really smart does that does that yeah. kind of make sense is like they took what no, was kind of a weakness and they make and I it think it's really work born out really well yeah. by the show because like you're right like this is the chance now to explore Anya's ex-demon side they've definitely this season been approaching her more demonic side 
yeah. or her more demonic history in a more direct way. I mean, even just pulling in all those demons right. like to the wedding. Um, I also think that it's a great callback as to why would they have done this before? Because as Anya herself says, her sole focus was being Xander's girlfriend. Exactly. So yeah. Xander never liked to talk about the fact that she was a demon. So, so she wasn't talking she about would it. Probably play that down as well and not spend a lot of time herself thinking about the repercussions of, oh, I've been a demon for a thousand years, now I'm human. What yeah. does that mean? But like she probably never thought about it because Xander never wanted to address it. And right. her whole reason for existence was making Xander happy. Yeah. So I I think that's a great call out that you know, the she and the show, I agree, is getting pretty meta about it, like exploring this side of it and what that actually means. Because it's true, we talked before about how Spike kind of gets a bad rap where they kind of let this ex-demon part of Anya just float by. Yeah. But Spike gets all this punishment for like his past and nobody really thinks about Anya's. But yeah. that's not going to be the case going forward. Like, well, the sh- if the, the, the yes. characters aren't necessarily thinking about her past, Anya and the show are. Yes. So. And I actually think that's another great point that you just touched on that I wanted to make sure we said at least some point during this episode. I also think it is, I don't know if it's important, but I think it's definitely worth noting that everybody, you know, this episode culminates in Xander's tirade against Spike for being soulless and for being a demon, but he doesn't know that Anya is that also now. I mean, unclear what exactly her soul status is, and I don't think we ever get any confirmation on that one way or another and frankly I think you and I both are a little bit like what (laughs) they really I don't what does having a soul mean but she we can definitely agree that she is a demon now you know so to have Spike I'm sorry to have Xander say all of these things make you awful because you subjected yourself to a demon but he actually is also saying that stuff about Anya she's not she's worthless because she's a demon now yes but also to be slightly fair to Xander Anya is raising this possibility to him of, like, at the very beginning of, like, do you want to get married? Like, all of this. And it's kind of unclear if he said something different, like, what direction she would go in. Like, Mm -hmm. but she's showing her demon face to the window, at least, while he's doing this. Oh, yeah, I don't mean that he knows. she going to tell him about this? True, 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 true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is kind of a big, crucial piece of information that for the rest of the episode, she's keeping secret because she wants to be able to enact revenge on Xander. But at the very beginning of the episode, it doesn't really appear that way. Yeah, sorry. I guess I don't really mean that as a knock on Xander exactly, except that he is a big hypocrite. (laughs) Okay, I do. No, 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 no. I agree. For hypocritically always being involved with demons. And then after be, Spike yes. for the same things that even if she's an ex-demon would still be true. apply to yes. Anya. But I think, and then I think it is an extra just bit of poetic something in the background that like, I guess it's uh what's that called when the audience knows the thing and you, but the people Dramatic don't. Dramatic irony. Thank you. Um, that, uh. Flashing back to ninth grade. Thank you. <laughs> I got, once you, you know, once I got a phrase stuck in my head, I was like, I, now I can't get out of this. It's not poetic justice, but that, those are the only words in my head right now. Uh, anyway, just the, it is a nice bit of dramatic irony that we also know that not only, yes, would these things be true even if she hadn't accepted a position as a demon again, but that she is also a demon. Right. So, okay, I mean, I don't want to linger on this too much, and I will admit that I, okay, so I don't delve into it much, but I have the, like, a Buffy subreddit on my main feed on Reddit, which I read a lot. I read Reddit a lot, but I don't usually engage with the Buffy stuff too much, mostly because I don't, want to get it's like the same thing like I don't listen to other Buffy podcasts not because I'm not interested in them but because I don't want to get other people's heads or ideas and accidentally start 
Like, right. you know what I mean? I don't want to be influenced when, because we're doing this and I kind of want it to be fresh and be our opinions specifically. So I try not to delve into it too much, but the other day somebody was posting about kind of a defense of Xander in the season two, at the season two finale, when he tells Buffy to kick Angel's ass. And I, you know, we've, we've covered this area well, and I don't want to get back into it, but I was like a little bit, oh, maybe there is something to people's kind of defense. I still definitely don't agree with it. And I didn't engage with this thought for that long, but because I had that, I did have that in my head when I was watching this episode, I was like, nope, nope, nope. Those people are definitely wrong. Or at least in my eyes, I do not agree because I think this episode really, really put Xander back into his worst. It was all of his worst flaws in one episode. And it's not making me hate Xander the way that it used to, but it is definitely making me feel like if anybody is to blame at all in this situation, it's him. So all, I guess what I'm yeah, trying to say it, is that it was, he was pretty sexist. I think, I think he really does have this idea of his women being pure and of spite, you know, the demons being evil, but it, it comes across as very, it comes across as sexist to me still. So when he's saying, oh, how could you debase yourself to sleep with Spike? It's like, who cares, Xander? That's not your business. You know what I mean? Like, it is your business in a way, but like, not really. And so I, I don't know, something about the way he chose to characterize everything and even his whole speech to Anya in the beginning where he's like, I still want to be with you. I just don't want to get married. It's just like, get off it. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he's, I, it doesn't make him unforgivable in my eyes, but it has definitely made him annoying. <laughs> Yeah, Xander really is an interesting character in these episodes because on the one hand, we can see that he is really broken up by what happened. He does feel really bad, and it does appear to be genuine, but then he also, you know, he makes his grand speech to Anya at the beginning. It doesn't work, and he's not saying the right things because it's true. At at fault, like, they have fundamental things. Like, Anya wants to get married, and Xander doesn't, but he doesn't really have... He's not explaining good reasons for why not other than just... Vague, like we're too young, unprepared, too, yeah. like whatever, which also doesn't work. Anya's a thousand. She's not too young. Yeah, like, it's true. It's true. But, but also then when it doesn't work, he slides into this really ugly side yes. that we have seen before that we know is there. Like but Xander is a, is a basically a bigot against vampires. He is. Yeah. And also like, you're right. Like expects this weird purity out of his female friends. Mm-hmm. And like it, it does not paint Xander in a very good light. It it almost paints Xander's emotions as false in that they only he only shows the good ones when they're self-serving. Right. Like that's true. He is showing this really emotional, like vulnerable, raw side to Anya and his friends when he thinks when he that wants he could have sad, a chance yeah. of like maybe getting her back it's a and good then point. it fails. Yeah. And then it's immediately like and, and he sees her sleeping with Spike, and so it's immediately he goes and says, like, the cruelest things that he could think of. And it shows a lack of empathy on Xander's part for anyone's feelings other than his own. Yes. Like, his whole spiel to Anya at the beginning is all about how he is sad that right? he messed up. And yes. Like he, but he's not ever thinking about Anya's And feelings. I think she, and, she calls him out on it that time and then later again, too, which I really appreciated. Yeah, and, and, and I think part of it, is that, yes, Xander is a complicated character. I think we've talked a lot on the history of the show about, mm-hmm. you know, Xander of... As much as we talk about how Buffy holds up well in 2019, mm-hmm. Xander does not. It's true. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Xander is not a very woke bay. if you No, will. he's not. <laughs> like, but at the same time, like, it makes for a very complicated character where... He has these flaws, and they are interesting to see, but they also, like, he he's also still, like, a 22-year-old male. Like, yeah. he has a lot of growing up to do, and I think for that, I forgive him 
but he is also like I think has some fundamental personality flaws that even as he grows up like yeah. are not going to totally go away. Yeah, I agree. And I I will be very interested when we get to the finale of this episode to see if that adds any, you know, what that adds to the kind of Xander tapestry because well, that I mean that's really my whole statement there. I I'm interested to see is that is any I guess what I mean to say I wonder if we'll be able to tie any of these moments together to that. Does he learn something by the end of this season? And is that part of what helps him become victorious? Or is that just another side? Yeah, exactly. Yes. I wonder if they're, if they are thinking of it or end up treating it in some way that is a consequence of this, or is it just a separate thing? Well, I, I will be curious about that because I do think that Xander applies a different standard to Buffy and Anya than he does Willow. Yes. And I think it's because he has no romantic interest in Willow. Yes, I agree. And, and so, so let's so never forget slimy. that Xander is still like, yeah. if, if Buffy were to come to him tomorrow yes, and say, let's would. be together, he'd be like, yes. fine. Yes, I so agree. I think that that's part of it. And so like his, I don't know if like it comes into play with his dynamic with Willow. We, we, we will but see. I, I, very, I do want to yeah. mention one more thing that I thought about because I didn't really mention the trio at all. Oh my God, yes. And um, I want to go back to in that my too. Recap. And they're, they're kind of barely in this, but um, they're the ones who plant all the cameras. Mm-hmm. I, but I had this thought watching their interactions where I thought at this point, you know, Warren should just go be on Angel and like participate in their toxic masculinity, yes, right? Like, he should. just go be on that show and do all your nonsense, Warren. But like, I also was thinking, why am I thinking that about Warren, but not Xander? Like, I'm giving Xander. Yeah. Xander is not killing people, but. Xander is behaving in a very similarly problematic way, and I'm he is sitting here dissecting all the ways this works for his character and like the journey are and the arcs and all of that. And like Warren, I would literally just like like write him off. I don't care. Like, well, I mean, Xander's not as bad as Warren. Xander is very flawed and has, I think, been deeply affected by masculinity and patriarchy and all of that in terms of what he thinks he, how he thinks he should be treated and how he thinks he should behave as a man in the world, I think is, that's the heart of Xander's problem. But I, I mean, Warren only treats women like objects. He only thinks they're there for his, I mean, I guess, I guess you could say some of those things about Xander. I, 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 it is not a fine line to me, though, that Warren is willing to murder women who don't do what he wants, and Xander isn't going to do that. I'm not saying that is like... I think there's more to it than that, and I think you're right to bring up the question. I definitely don't think they're on the same level. No, they're not, but I do think... I mean, we've talked about this before. Warren is like what Xander could have been yes. in a slightly different lens. Yes. And okay. um, I do think that that's interesting. I also think it's interesting as we talk about Warren... I just mean obviously Warren he's now expanding his willingness to kill from women, women who, who are scorned him. to yeah. potentially his friends. So I okay, I want to talk more about Warren. Okay, but I also just want to shoot. What was I going to say? Ugh, I had another little pithy line about why they were different. I forget what it was. So whatever, we'll move on. Um, oh, I just that Warren has no redeeming qualities. He's never done anything positive. So I guess that's that's the other thing that it's like Xander. I mean, and part of it's just because I mean, Warren has always been a villain on the show. You know, he's only ever been in the show as a villain. So, of course, they don't like talk about the time. Maybe he like saved a dog from getting hit by a car or something, although I frankly don't believe that he would do that. But um, I mean, we have at least seen Xander participate in good. At least he's trying. I don't know. You're right. (laughs) Now, I, I feel like everything I'm saying could be taken horribly out of context to defend bad actions by men. So 
I'll stop going down this path. Let's just talk specifically about Warren. Cause I want going back to the dialogue in this episode. I think if this had been the only example, I might've been like, Oh, maybe that was a little too on the nose. But at some point in the very, you know, the very first scenes when we're seeing the trio, I, I should have written down the exact quote, but Warren said something about how, like, we're going to spread this wide open. That was like the metaphor that he used for what, how they were going to find whatever that disc that they were looking for or whatever. Um, and how that was going to let them find, treasure or something frank what were they even doing doesn't matter anyway it's really unclear <laughs> but i thought what they like were doing i thought that was also very well written that even warren's metaphor like he's so consumed by this view of the world and view of women that like all of his metaphors are also like disgusting and i thought that was it. i just i guess i just thought it was notable also that like warren is is like that a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> like he's not just using that to color his views and actual discussions of women, but that's also like how he sees literally everything in the world is as like a woman that should, should submit to him. And I just thought that was very telling. No, I actually think that's really clever writing. Yeah. And I and really, I don't know if I was just in a delicate spot when we were watching this episode last night, but like I, Jonathan, is breaking my heart also. You know, he knows that something is up. I kind of wish we did get to spend more time with them, but they really haven't laid the groundwork for, like, deep exploration into the the inner... You know, other than they've just been playing the three of them together for comedy and then separately kind of for other things. So I, I, I kind of do wish... I feel like there is something more we could have gotten out of this, but I really did... I did enjoy the brief interaction that we had where it's, like, clear that John, Jonathan knows that he's on his way out or that they are not on his side anymore, Warren and Andrew, but he doesn't exactly know what's being done and just kind of watch him be very cold to them. I don't know. It just it made me sad. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan. I'm happy that Jonathan would maybe p- escape this life and reform once again, but it still made me sad that this is kind of the point that all of that has come to between them. But I think it's them. because we spent the most time with Jonathan. So like right, in a right. way, Jonathan like has these redeeming qualities that we know are right. there and that he just feels like he got swept up in the wrong crowd. Yeah. Like, yeah. And yeah, but we, we will have plenty of opportunities talk to talk about that. Yeah. more about the trio. Um, yes. I know we should probably move on to Angel, we but should. I did have a couple just random notes that oh, I made. Yes. I have a couple more too. Okay. <laughs> One is that Halfrick doesn't acknowledge Spike this time at all. Yeah. Which, I thought that was Considering weird. there was only three of them, I thought it should have happened. Yeah. Which makes me angry that the last time was just a random one-off joke about, yeah. like, <laughs> oh, we previously cast this person to play this yeah. other role. And, like, that's how we're acknowledging it. But it's almost as egregious, then, as the ending of Normal Again. So yeah, yeah, it just it's makes true. me angry if you're not going to be consistent about acknowledging that. Like, they don't even look like they recognize each other. Yeah. The other thing was Willow talking about the lot. There's a lot of booby traps and firewalls while she's hacking into the camera feeds. And it's literally just like a radar screen. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what Uh, are you typing, Willow? Where are you typing? Yeah. (laughs) Um, This was sort of Alex's observation, but I, because of something I said previously, I was like, oh, yeah, I think he's not wrong. Um, uh, You can correct me if I'm not using this term exactly correctly, but they also, in... In the pursuit of giving Anya a personality, have also act, like accidentally or on purpose made her into a very like 40s or 50s like fast talking girl Friday. 
she is. She's like they've like turned her, her into Catherine Hepburn. They have, like, exactly with the hairstyle. Yes, too. Her hairstyle, so her poodle skirts, her shoes, her like also kind of like the vibrant red. Like I don't know everything about it. I was like, you're totally right. They like really decided that she's retro. <laughs> I like it. I think it's working. It's just funny that I was like, oh yeah. Which is I, weird because the previous season, like all her shirts were backless and crop tops. Yes. So, I she's think Anna's just trying on yeah. different human personalities. She is. I, I think this one works the best for her. I think she should stick with it, but I did think it was funny. <laughs> like, you're right. It's like ever since the musical, like, maybe Emma Caulfield was like, I like dressing like this. Yeah. Let's keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. That's actually probably everything I have. All right. Um, but A+. plus. I mean, not A+, because it was awful, and I felt really bad I give at the it end a of it, but it was a really good episode. And yay, yeah. Willow and um, Tara. All right, tell us about Double or Nothing. Ooh, okay. Uh, so in, I, I guess this episode sort of had two tracks, as they tend to. And on the one track, you know, Cordelia comes back from vacation with Gru. She gets caught up on everything that's been going on and that Connor is missing. And so there's a lot of kind of B-plot background story between, on, I'm sorry, Anya. Now I'm going to keep saying that. Angel and Cordelia, you know, him being very sad about losing his son and her trying to just work through it with him, et cetera, et cetera. But the A storyline in this one is about Gunn. And we see that once upon a time, seven years ago, when he wasn't in the same place in his life and didn't really expect to make it, you know, maybe make it past 25 or however old he is, unclear exactly. Um, but... Uh, he sold his soul for something at this demon casino in LA. And now that he's falling in love with Fred, that demon that he sold his soul, soul to um, <laughs> notices that he's about to give it to someone else, which is to say Fred. Uh, and so they come after him to say, hey, you can't do that. Uh, so Gunn breaks up. Uh, As if Gunn is aware that he's giving. I know. His soul. I had some Sorry. problems with the mechanics for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so they come to, you know, collect, et cetera, et cetera. Gunn does the stereotypical, well, I'll just break up with her in the cruelest way I can think of way to get her out of, to save her. And then he goes to the casino to fork it over. They were using another word besides soul too, but they definitely said soul a bunch of times also, which is just so muddy. Um, so he goes to the casino. Fred, of course, figures out what's up because she's like, he would never do this to me. Even if he was going to break up with me, it wouldn't be in this way, blah, blah, blah. So she, Cordelia and Angel go to save him and they more or less are able to do it at the casino. Angel makes a wager for, you know, double or nothing. You'll get my soul too. And I'm a vampire with a soul. And then of course he loses the bet. So then they just kill everyone. Sure. Um, I mean, and that was pretty much it. And then at the end they're, you know, uh, Fred and Gunn get to be back together and we find out that the thing he sold his soul for was his truck, which I did think was good. Um, but also C storyline is that Wesley, you know, is still in the hospital. Fred goes there and tells him how disappointed she, you know, she's the only one that's even talking to him right now. And even she is really disappointed in him for not bringing the rest of them in on the prophecy and the discoveries. And then she, in a really cruel way, lets him know also, by the way, all that was fake. So you did all this for nothing. Then the hospital releases him and he goes home to an empty house um, or apartment, wherever he lives. So, I mean, mixed bag with this one. I liked a lot of it. I hate, I didn't hate a lot of it, but I, I think I said this to you before we started recording. I think for once I'm mad at the characters and not really at the show. <laughs> uh, so that's where I'm at. I, 
I have to say the Wesley, I think that their actions to Wesley are unforgivable. I am so mad at all of them. I can't believe that in this episode, Cordelia doesn't even go and talk to him. Like she's, they're all so in on Angel's side of this story when we know repeatedly that Angel has made the same types of mistakes or worse to them and involved them in it. And I feel really bad for Angel about his son being lost, but like Angel himself lived in another demon dimension and then came back to Earth. So like if anybody should think that it's possible to save his son, it should be Angel. So like why they're not throwing all their energy and anger into that kind of pursuit and why Cordelia can't even be bothered but to get Wesley's side of the story, I think is just ridiculous. Yeah, I am so I heartbroken for him. <laughs> agree that it's a bit surprising that Cordelia doesn't even think to go see Wesley. I I guess I assumed it was because she was doing that like consoling angel bit, c- like that ceremony that Gru was talking about, where the like basically like she's sitting Shiva with Angel. I see their whatever Pylean version of that. But then okay, maybe um, I actually sort of missed that line, and I heard like I half heard it, so maybe that is a decent explanation. Yeah. But I also I. So the show seems to be either completely oblivious to the irony that it's displaying or or getting weirdly meta. And it's really hard to tell. But yeah. I did. So Fred going to I. So first of all, in the very beginning of the episode, Lauren is saying, I just wish he'd talk to us. And yeah. yes, agree, Lauren, that would be amazing if yes. Angel were to talk to you yes. because talking is the problem. You guys don't do yes. it. Yes. And then Fred goes to to Wesley and says, as the voice of reason, yes. in my opinion, I agree. I agree. you should have come to us and trusted us. Like, yeah. yes, all of this could have been avoided had Wesley done that. And then in the very same episode that all of all these characters are saying these things and in Fred's case, saying them in front of Gunn, what does Gunn do? Yes, Try yes. to go and solve oh his problems God, on his so own. Right. So he doesn't come and talk to them. Like, I'm like, guys, just talk to each yes. other. Like, you keep... And, and and this is where I'm saying, like, I can't tell if it was supposed to be, like, I don't think funny, it was. I don't. Or if the show, like, honestly just, like, doesn't know how to be written. I like, think the writers is, don't know how to do this. Yeah, I think it's that one. Like, because it doesn't come across as ir- ironic at all. No. Yeah, you're right. So I guess that's really the heart of... They're just so you know, sloppy. Honestly, the thing that pissed me off the most about Cordelia is that she came back from Mexico and found this out that nobody I agree. called her. Oh my god, that was my wor- That was my first note. Was like, it is unfathomable that none of them could have been bothered to tell her. I just, that is so hurtful. And if anybody deserves to be butthurt about anything, it's her. <laughs> but yeah. I just... Also that she came back and there's like what's going on? And then it's like a quick cut to like, I'm so sorry, but like, there's no Cordelia hearing the news or processing it. So like Cordelia's reactions like don't matter. It's true. They're really sidelining her in a bad way. And, and because I think we talked about this before too, I don't, I still haven't looked up why Cordelia, why Charisma Carpenter wasn't in those last couple episodes, but it is maybe I, you know, they can't get away with having their dumb boys not talk to one another because they're all too strong you know, if Cordelia is in the mix because she forces everybody to talk to each other, which is like literally the only thing that they need. Yeah, you're right. So I guess it's just really hard that I think this, this episode took a a heavy pivot to we're all on team Angel again, but I really don't think Angel has done anything to earn that. Angel hasn't. No, I'm sorry. I mean the (laughs) characters in the show. Like, I feel like the show. Just for the record. Oh yeah. No, 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 (laughs) exactly. And I guess that's what I mean to say. The heart of which, like, I'm really mad at them. I'm mad at Fred too, though. Fred, everything that she said to Wesley, I think was fair and deserved to be said, but that that's the last interaction you're going to leave him with. And then you're going to pin him, pin it with him. You guys all got tricked by this prophecy. You guys all got tricked by Wolfram and Hart. Not, it wasn't just Wolfram and Hart. And like, also, you know that I hate how many players were involved in this dumb storyline, but there are three other parties that they could all be angry with. 
and they don't need to scapegoat Wesley. Like Wesley definitely deserves to face some consequences for what he did, but he's still a good guy. And I think it's crazy that they're treating him like he's not that at the things that he's done, he's done are as bad as Wolfram and Hart giving Angel his own son's dr- blood to drink a time traveling demon, setting everybody up so that he could kill Angel's son just for his own, his own reasons that have nothing to do with any of them. And then that this, you know, another time traveling vampire hunter who has a huge grudge against Angel has come here to ruin his life. And we're not mad at those people. We're mad at Wesley. I mean, you know what really infuriates me about this entire thing is that this is where we are now. And like to get here, we had to watch those inane training montages with Holtz and his men like fighting vampires. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then we're still not mad at Holtz. <laughs> like there was so little payoff for like, that. Like, I'm sorry. Have you guys forgotten about Holtz? Because I agree. Like the even the show, because of the focus of like everybody else is gone now and everybody's piling on Wesley is like... Hello, like literally two episodes you were making us watch Justine and Holtz, like, you know, randomly train people. It's like, have you forgotten? Like, yeah. And I think that they have. And 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 it's really annoying because we're in this really awful place on the show. The characters are in an awful place and it all feels like it's just random, like spaghetti they threw at the wall and they're like, whoops, this is where we ended up. Oh, isn't this going to be fun to have tension on the team? And it's like, you have to earn that. You have to earn the tension. Exactly. It's like, I can't watch these episodes without feeling like it would have been so much better if Angel and and Wesley had actually had a disagreement, (laughs) if they had actually spoken about it and, and, and come to different viewpoints and then tried to convince the team of which one, you know what I mean? Like that would have been a more satisfying schism. We could have had, you know, Fred on one side and Cordelia on another and Gunn kind of down the middle. But you know, I don't know. It's like, it's, it is so strange to like, also, why do they all care about Angel? He doesn't pay any attention to any of their lives. He's just catching up that Fred and Gunn are dating and they've been dating for like four episodes now. Like, I mean, and flirting for long, much longer than yeah, that. Yeah, the Grusalog has been there guess, for like two yes. seconds, and he's already way more caught up. He is. Also, I loved him trying to we keep up really with like their plan when they're like throwing around all these random words, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah." <laughs> should we just replace Angel with the Grusalog? I mean, yes. <laughs> from here, from the rest of the show, maybe. <laughs> and and again, <sighs> I just can't help feeling that there's something weird going on in the background. We should really look into it about why Cordelia wasn't there. Yeah. Because to me, that's, like, not the main problem. She's but it's something ca- that really feels like it's contributing to this, like, odd feeling of, like, watching it. Like, something's off. And I don't yeah. know if it was intentional or, like, a scheduling conflict or, like, given what we know around her departure from the show, like, the beginnings of maybe Right. Is that already started? Weird. Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, like, not to throw too too light of a point on this, but, like, visual the visuals of this episode imply that like she was gone for three weeks because she had to go like bleach her hair like yeah honestly like there's no explanation (laughs) like just shipping your character off on a romantic vacation for for okay three episodes that are supposed to take place over like three days like just feels odd to me and again that like we've also spent this whole season building up the Angel and Cordelia romantic relationship and we've been doing it pretty well and so then again to try and have us believe not really that Angel would I mean I do believe that Angel would treat Cordelia this way which is to say that like it doesn't matter how close they get he's never gonna think anyone can can stand his news and his life because he's so self-centered and bad (laughs) but like that nobody else would involve her in this when she's definitely the secondary second most important show I'm sorry second most important character on this show like you know, it, to look at it through that lens, like she's the second character 
It's Angel and Cordelia. She's been in it the longest. She's the main, she's the other main character. I mean, I would argue obviously that like other people should or are main characters and Angel really should get sidelined in his own show. But I, you know, it's still called Angel. Angel's the main character. Cordelia is definitely the second most important character in the show, objectively. So why are we writing her off with little explanation? Yeah. And also it's infuriating that the thing that they wrote her off with is she's <clears> going <throat> to go on like a sex vacation with her boyfriend. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I agree. cool. Um, yeah, but I think all of this contributes together to create something that if you looked at it on paper, you'd be like, wow, that's a really cool storyline. Like, I, again, in my mind, I remembered it that way. But like watching it now, it just does not work. And it's missteps everywhere. And the characters I mean, in I'm, this episode are some of them are doing things that are fine. But like I also well, the I problem guess, to me is like. They're still trying to figure out this character of gun in a way that I don't understand yes. why it's problematic. Like, I guess every time they want to make gun interesting, Wait, they just yeah. bring up some other random person or incident from his past. But at a certain point, yes, that just doesn't work anymore. Like, I, I agree. Yeah. I like the twist that it was a truck that he did it for. And also that they kind of back it up. And like, also, it's not it, that he was just was, a shallow kid who wanted exactly. a truck. It was to yes. save lives. Yes, I agree. I like that they he, he had a good reason for that, too. Yeah. Yes, I agree. But I also think, like, the whole, first of all, the depiction of Gunn's street life is always questionable. Oh like, did we need to play Coolio? <laughs> like, Oh, my God. Okay, here's, here's the other note that I made about that particular scene. So, yes, so we're going through the episode, and then before they put on the, you know, put the words on the screen that say this is seven years ago, we see Gunn in a do-rag and Coolio's Gangster's Paradise is playing. And I literally was like, do they not know what year it is? And then it turns out that was the joke, you know, because then, the, then it comes on, the, comes on the screen that like, oh, this is a scene from the past. But I was like, I think that that was a joke, but I have to say it's not great for your show when I genuinely think that's a mistake you might make is playing a, a, a song that, a notable hip hop song that is almost a decade old in your show and being like, Did, was that... Nobody on your staff knew that that's not a current song. Like I not even the, the fact, fact that, that it's that not a current song, but their song choice was like. Well, right, right, right. No, but I just mean to say like that. I could could definitely. My first thought was, wow, your staff sure doesn't know anything about the timeline of hip hop. Like that. That was my first reaction. I think says a lot about how you've kind of written this previously. Like it shouldn't. It shouldn't be my first inclination is to be like, wow, you guys just really messed that up. That song cue instead of like, oh, that was a funny joke. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think this like could have been a fun. You're right. You know, I really came into this being like this episode was okay. I didn't. I guess it didn't have some of the other problems. <laughs> Here's what this episode did right. Didn't have a bunch of side characters that I hate in it. So that was fine. You know, like, hey, it turns out an episode is a lot more fun to watch when it's about all the main characters that I'm trying to get to know. It's true. The fallout from this that is nice is that we did get rid of a lot of annoying people. We did. And I, I guess that's what, maybe that was kind of what I was feeling when I was watching this. And I was like, hey, this isn't half bad. Because I didn't have to spend every 10 minutes being like, oh, why are we talking to this guy again? <laughs> so like, I guess it had that going for it. And I mean, I think the casino idea was fun. I think it's had a good concept. But as always, it's the execution that really falls short in Angel. Like, I didn't really think Angel stepping in to bet himself like and take over control of the situation like that's just angel all of the angels bad characteristics kind of come out again in this like he can't let gun deal with this himself also why is gun so bad at dealing with things <laughs> like he's gun should really 
and I think is a lot smarter than the show gives him credit for every time they put him in the spotlight is like we he's been surviving in LA fighting demons for at least seven years we've found out you know so it's like he is better at this than they're making him look I, and I also, I agree with Fred that it's like, this was so out of character for him. I don't believe that he's finally found a woman that he loves and his first reaction is like, yeah, you're right. I'll just, that's it. You can have it. You know? I don't know. It just doesn't fall. It doesn't ring true. This is really unclear how he's giving Fred his soul. I, I mean, I could not with that. Yes, I agree. Also, your soul and love, I don't, based on the way we always, like, soul is a really lo- loaded word to use in this universe, so I don't know why they didn't come up with something a little more distinct. You know, like, oh, does he turn into a demon after that? Is he a vampire if they take his soul? Is that what happens? I think (laughs) based on the episode showing us that he gets his eyes poked out. Yeah, but did it kill him? As you know, the eyes are the window to the soul. Yes, uh, on the nose. I just thought of that. (laughs) Oh, we talked about that yesterday, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and Fred and Gunn are still cheesy. Fred, Fred actually, I think, again, is works better and better every... Like, I still really like uh, Amy Acker. I think she's just doing a great job. And I did like getting to see how much Fred has grown and, like, how much of a spine she has now to be able to stand up for herself repeatedly throughout this episode to the way people are talking to her and the way people are treating her. Um, I did like that. Yeah, I think that Fred and Gunn still just suffer from, like, a dialogue problem. Oh, they do. Yeah. And real, and I said this before, but like coming off the tales of the Buffy episode, it was just like, you, <laughs> I mean, there is a good way to write dialogue and there is a bad way to write dialogue. And you could just watch these two episodes and probably figure it all out. <laughs> it's just very cheesy. And like, really, even his breakup was like bad. I, like, like, like yeah. Gunn bringing her the pancakes and all that stuff. It's like super cute. And then they're sitting in the truck and he's like, it, it's like cringy, like the stuff that he's saying. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Get better dialogue writers. Get, well, you know, dialogue is really their problem. Maybe their characters don't talk to each other because they can't write it. That's a good point. Or they're bad at it because they never practice. Yeah. They, the show writers, are bad at it. I don't really like the, um, I didn't really like the twist of Angel loses the bet and then he just punches everybody and, like, that was how they beat them. Yeah. So it's like, um, oh, okay. So you could have just done that. Also. Why hasn't anyone done that before? It was kind of unclear because Gunn is like, oh, that guy's really hard to kill. That's why I didn't do that. And then they're like, whoops. And then they just let the crowd rush that guy. So it was the implication that they yeah. did kill him because you just have to do it a right. multiple number of times. Like. I don't know. I don't know. I think it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we have like a demon of the week. That's wholly unnecessary. I yeah. forgot about the couple. With the, they were cute. But, like, the demon, the old demon cute. couple with the squatter. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just, my big takeaway from this was, like, I am completely heartbroken over Wesley. And part, and it's 50-50, I'm heartbroken over the circumstances in his life that have given him a very bad hand. But I'm also heartbroken for him as a character, <laughs> you know, that, like, he could really be something great. And I have to say, once again... Like, does Alexis Denisov, he has, like, two words in this episode, and he is the most compelling character in the whole thing. I Like, watching him be sad in a hospital bed was more, was better work than anyone else did in this whole episode. You know what I mean? I mean, that's not exactly true, because I think, like I said, I think Fred was cute. I think some of the other actors are still pulling their weight, but, like, he could really, really, he deserves more as a character and as, a, as an actor. Yeah, Wesley has no words, and he's still more, like, 
compelling yeah. than Angel ever is. It's it's really not fair. And I do think they suffer from like a difference of acting abilities, but it's also a problem of like yeah. I I mean we're, I'm just gonna keep saying what we've been saying, which is that their main character is not compelling. No. And that they don't recognize it, and so they keep trying to put him front and center, and every time they do... Like, this whole episode was like a return to form, where it was like, oh, Angel's the leader again? No, I didn't like this. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it better when this wasn't the case. Also, they all agreed that Wesley was the leader, and so now that Wesley made a decision you don't agree with, you just throw him under the bus and go back to the other guy? That's not how that works. Like, you guys agreed that Wesley was in charge, and the decision that Wesley made was not to tell you about it, and it's fine for you to want to complain about it, but it's not fine for you to act like he did something totally out of line. Well, I, he did. <laughs> yeah, yes, you're right. I, I guess, but I mean, like, strategically and, like, as a unit, it's, I think, as electing him as the leader, you agree that he might make decisions that you don't like. Yeah. And if he agreed, it was better for me to handle this alone than to bring you all in on it. I don't know. I mean, of course, they have this personal relationship where I think that they, you know, he owes them more than that, but I also... Like, I think he made a bad strategic decision, but I don't know that it's also fair for them to say, like, so we cut you out of our life forever because you did a thing we didn't like. It is true that the show like, You agreed to, to let him make those really choices. tell us that Wesley's the leader, but not, not show it so much. Like Nobody treats him that yeah. way. Like, everyone's like, oh, okay, Wesley's the leader. Cool, 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 cool. Angel, what do you think? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, well, I tried to have nice things to say. I don't think I tried that hard. <laughs> <laughs> I did try. <laughs> I tried. Uh, I think I'm just like supposed to feel bad for Angel, and I don't. And I I don't blame myself. I, that, I blame yes. the show. That's the heart of my complaint. Also, though, is that they all the characters feel bad for Angel, and we're supposed to feel bad for Angel, and I don't. And I, I am sorry that he lost his son, but I don't at all buy the rest of the surrounding circumstances. And I just want to say it one more time. Uh, I really don't buy that Angel wouldn't be trying to find a way to get his son out of an alternate demon dimension after Angel's specific life and experience with demon dimensions. Like, somebody did tell him, like, nope, it's impossible. But, like, what? Literally everything they do in this show is impossible. Like, people are always telling them that what they want to do isn't feasible or can't be done. Yeah, getting home from Pileo I thought was impossible, so... Yeah, exactly. And they did it in style. And it's his, it's his son, you know? Like... This is it's why it's like hard to kind of take his feelings for Connor seriously because he really wants to mope about it, but he doesn't for once want to do something about it. Angel is all action and no, you know, words. And this is the first time that he's the other way around. Yeah, it's it's very irritating. Okay, well, I don't have anything else no, to say. I've exhausted my well of complaints. <laughs> uh, okay, well, what do we have next week? Next time we have oh, God. Seeing Red. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the price. price. Okay. Well, <laughs> everyone brace yourself. <laughs> um, Maybe I'll just yeah. sob for the whole episode and call it a day. All right. Do you have any pop culture? Uh, no. Same. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> great. <laughs> great. Yeah. Excellent. For time. Great. Um, yep. And what team are you on this week? Team Anya. Yeah. She makes some mistakes, but she's re- she is not she's wrong about a lot of her behavior and her actions, but her uh she has really been scorned and is not getting totally a fair shake. And and I like her and I like her girl Friday attitude and I like her red satin skirt. And I'm sorry that this happened to you. I agree that Anya was a standout, but I also just have to go team Tara while I can. Yeah, I know. I almost that's, you know. Team Tara on the side. Also, she was great in this episode. Like, 
She was so good. So flustered with Willow and then also just like really just coming and like taking what she wanted. I, that scene is one of the most romantic things I've ever seen. And I, knowing what was coming, I still got totally choked up about it. And like, also remember when Amber Benson started on the show and she was like tinny and she was not a very good actress. And like, she has gotten so much better. Agreed. Well done. Yeah, she was fantastic. You are so lovable and you deserve everything. So, mm. okay. Great. I love you. Too. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> uh, All right. All right. So with that said, we'll be back next week and I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have. And find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.